Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. To this place, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. Welcome, everyone. Uh, let's get straight into the word. This particular um, sermon I want to preach or teach in, really, um, in many ways, I want to say is, is a combination, I would say, of trying to balance my personal ministry um, journey. So I'm not just talking about my personal faith journey, but my personal ministry journey. Um, from the different, I don't know whether you call denominations, tribes, of, and Christianity that have, have both been part of and have um, influenced me. Also by, it's not just the tribes, but also in the different parts of the world that I've been privileged to be in and to receive from. One of the things I'm most convinced of, and one of my best friends in ministry who is here will talk to us about this. The church can never really truly be the church if it is not global. We can't truly. Jesus did not die for a local church. He died for a global church. And the global church needs itself for it to be who it was called to be. Every single one of us has a limited view on truth. We may have a good position on truth, but it is always limited and therefore it is not exhausted. And part of God's design was to intentionally limit us so that we would need each other, so that when we walk in love with each other, we will be able to sharpen one another and we get closer to God's view of the truth. Because what is truth? What is the definition of truth? I can never improve on this definition that someone said a, a number of years ago. I had said, truth is God's perspective on reality. What God sees, that is truth. We don't have the eyes of God, so we can see in part, and we can know in part. But we can increase in that part as we engage with one another. And so that's why it's important that as we think about our local context, which is really important, it is always good to expand our view to a broader global context, because in my mind and my experience, as I move to the global context, it makes me see the local better. But as I'm more engaged with the local, it helps me contribute to the global better. Are we following? And so you will indulge me with this talk. I want to talk about the place of signs and wonders in the mission. And let me start by saying, giving you a number of definitions I want to sort of do a gospel theology in five minutes. Gospel theology in five minutes. When we believe the gospel, when someone believes the gospel, what is the result? Let me tell you what the result is. We are given a gospel identity that secures for us a gospel destiny that enables us to continually grow in gospel maturity. I'll say it again. When we believe the gospel, we are given a gospel identity that secures for us a gospel what? Destiny that enables us to continually grow in gospel maturity. How do we grow in gospel maturity? We have received a gospel identity that has secured for us a gospel what? Destiny. And that enables us to grow in gospel maturity. In other words, the past 
and the future help us with the present. We receive a gospel identity that secures for us a gospel destiny that enables us to continually grow in gospel maturity. Now, those are three things. Let me take this way of thinking in threes a bit further. What do we mean by how do you grow in gospel maturity? Let me take some of what Jeremiah was saying yesterday. Listen to this. How does a Christian grow in gospel maturity? What is gospel maturity all about? It is this. We are being redirected to a new devotion in a new community that is on a new mission. We are being redirected in a new devotion uh, to a new devotion in a new community that is on a new mission. What do I mean? What is the biggest problem of humanity? We worship false gods, not the true God. What is God's greatest desire? That they will worship him in spirit and in truth. Paul brought the message to the Thessalonians and said, how you left and you stopped serving false gods and you turned to the true and living God. But here's the truth. The moment we believe the gospel doesn't mean that we stop worshiping idols. We have to start getting rid of the idols in our hearts. Amen? So really, what God is only looking for is worshippers. So maturity is growing in the worship of the true God. There is a break once we convert, but we have to continue to grow. I must get rid of my love for myself, my love for my wife above God, my love for money above God, my love for my kids above God, my love for my nation above God. He is changing us to being what? Worshippers. But how do you do it? You cannot do it alone. So God saved you, but he saved you into a community. It is when we are together provoking one another in love and good deeds that as we love ourselves, we love God because how can you love God that you have not seen when you don't love your brother that you can see? We provoke one another unto love and good deeds. You are saved to the body of Christ. It is that body of Christ. That enables you to grow in love and maturity. But as Jeremiah showed us, if you try to separate evangelism and discipleship, it doesn't work. It is not biblical. He said it's biblical, it's not biblical. Education is something else. So you cannot just say that we are coming together and we are growing in gospel maturity. That community is on a new mission. So we are being redirected to the worship of the true God. How does that happen? When we are in community, but that community is on mission. That is how you achieve gospel maturity. But, what is this destiny we are talking about? We said we shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Many times we thought about gospel destiny, I can't just wait to go to heaven. That's one way of looking at it. It depends on your definition. Because really, our gospel destiny is not flying away somewhere. For human beings were not created for heaven. Human beings were created for the earth. And so God, who did not create us as spirits, but he created us as spirit bodies, is going to tabernacle here on the earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with men. So we are going to be in a new environment. A new environment where there is no longer any curse. The curse was no more. And so the things that make us sick, the things that make us decay, the things that make us, you know, our bodies frail, all that is taken away. For he said, behold, I am making all things new. He gave you new life. He gave you a new song. He put in a new community. Oh, he's giving you a new heaven and a new earth. But you cannot dwell in that new heaven and new earth with the bodies that you have. And so he gives us a new body 
to dwell in a new environment. Are we following? The first man was of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord of heaven. As we have borne the image of the first man, the earthy, we will also bear the image of the last one. But the last one was not a spirit, for he said flesh and bone, uh, flesh, he showed them what? The, the, the scars in the sign. And he said, he ate fish. We will eat in the new heavens and the new earth. Are you following me? The only difference is that the food that we eat is far greater than the one that we have now. So he gives us new bodies to dwell in a new environment. And if that was how I defined our gospel destiny, I've just described hell to you. Because with all the good... Bodies and the good environment, the good body and good environment were not given as ends in themselves. They were given for a purpose. Our destiny is to live and to dwell with God forever. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The dwelling place of God is now with men. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. The greatest promise throughout all of scripture. In the law, in the prophets, repeated in the epistles, and all the way to the book of Revelation. That is where we are going. So read all your eschatological uh, uh, passages. 1 Thessalonians 4. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That is our purpose. To eventually dwell in the house of the Lord. It is not about the house. It is the owner of the house and the person that is in the house. Is somebody listening to me? That's where we are going. So our destiny is to have new bodies in a new environment that enables us to live this new relationship, this fulfilled relationship. But something secured it for us. It was the gospel identity. And what is that gospel identity made of? How is it that we get a new identity when we are converted? When we are converted, we receive a new identity. What is this identity? Simple. We are given a new status and we are given new life. A new status that is, those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for them again. Is it because of what they've done? No, because they are in Christ. They are in Christ. By repentance and faith, they are in Christ. Union Union in Christ by faith. Are we following? They are in Christ. It's a new status. It is not what is done in you. It is what is done to you. You become a son of God. You become redeemed. You become ransomed. You become justified. You become adopted. You become reconciled. All of this is status given to you. Not on the account of anything you've done, but by his mercy. Amen. But the status is not alone. That is not the only thing that makes the identity. Justification, adoption, all of those things, yes. But the identity is all of those things. Justification, liberation, adoption, reconciliation, all of those. And regeneration, the Holy Spirit. It is a new status and a new life together. That is why he says... When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, that we may receive the adoption as sons, status. But because we are sons, he sent for the spirit of his son, whereby we cry what? Abba, Father. Whatever the status is, it is backed by the Holy Spirit that comes in. Are we following? And that brings me to what I want to say. Gospel identity that secures for you a gospel destiny so that you can grow, what, in gospel maturity. I can put it in one sentence. It is life in the spirit from start to finish. There is no such imagination, biblical imagination of what it means to be a Christian from start to finish without the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, 
He is the, it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes with signs and with wonders. Now, how does that work out in mission? I want to look at this under four things. And eventually, the most important part of this really is that we are going to pray some dangerous prayers this morning. Are we together? So I want us to look at the subservience of signs. I want us to look at the need for signs. I want us to look at the misuse of signs. And I want to look at the result of signs. Subservience of signs, need for signs, the misuse of signs, and the result of signs. Let us start. We are still in our text of Acts 10, 34 to 48, but I'm not going to read everything. I'm not going to read it again as we did. I'm just going to refer to it, but we'll go through so many other scriptures. Subservience of signs. Father Lord, we need you right now. Spirit of the living God, blow a fresh wind upon us and catalyze something, O oh God, in this room that will spread, O oh God, to the nook and crannies of the places you've called us in the name of Jesus Christ. Let it be said at some point in history that because you were gracious to us by bringing us here into this little upper room, that, Lord, you change the world around us in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, subservience of science. This helps us to set the larger context of everything. You know, in that Acts chapter 10, it says this, 36, it says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. This is Peter talking to Cornelius. You know the message. There was a message that was sent. And he tells us about that message. Later, in verse 42, he says, he commanded us to preach to the people. He commanded us to preach to the people. What did they preach about? Well, the message was about the good work of Jesus that led to the good news of Jesus. And he now tells the people to preach that good news. That is what the mission is about. This is how people enter into the kingdom. By response to the good news. This is how Jesus started his ministry in Mark chapter 1. Verse 14, as John the Baptist's ministry was going down, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee doing what? I can't hear you. And what was the good news of God? The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Why we say that our message is spiritual warfare is really because it's a depopulation exercise. What we are doing is that we are engaging with the kingdom of darkness, but the core of spiritual warfare, the core, there are different rings and different levels of spiritual warfare, but at the core of spiritual warfare is this, a depopulation exercise. Colossians 1 verse 12, right? He says this, And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, one kingdom, for he has rescued us from the dominion or the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he lost. This is the eternal jackpot. And how do we get there? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Acts chapter 10. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Are you engaging in spiritual warfare? Then you must call people to believe in him. I want to emphasize this so importantly. Let me give you one example. In the book of Acts, chapter 8, Philip, as a result of persecution that's going on, he gets into a city in Samaria. And by the time we get to the end of that chapter, everything has changed in that place. Everything has changed. It says at one point that the people had joy. There was so much joy in the city. But now it wasn't just the city. The region of Samaria has changed. Do you know how that happens? Listen to these number of verses, all taken from Acts 8, Acts chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Verse 5, Philip went to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Verse 12, 
But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. For those who are saying that baptism is no longer important, I hope you can hear. Verse 25. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. 35, then Peter began with that very passage of scripture and told them the good news about Jesus. 40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in towns. Do you get the point? This warfare comes by the preaching of the word. And you can see it in the book of Acts. Disciples multiplied because the word, and I'm not just talking about any word. There are things that we can teach from the Bible that are good and we can, we'll get to that. But ultimately, the sword of the spirit is not just the Bible. The sword of the spirit is the gospel that summarizes the message of the Bible. They preach the word about the Messiah. Gospel warfare, spiritual warfare, if it is true spiritual warfare, has to be gospel-centered. Why is this important? If you don't get this understanding well, you will not, you will suffer, you will, you will make the mistake of falling into two kinds of errors regarding the signs. And what are these two errors? A, you may ignore the signs, or B, you may center the signs. And I want to talk about those two in the next two points. The need for signs. Now, some people have ignored the signs for a variety of reasons. But I think they eventually make a crucial error when they are trying to defend their position. What they do is, and I say this, these are friends of mine, wonderful people of God. Not many of them in Nigeria, though. Some, but not many. But it's still really important, and I'll get to us. What they do is this. You see this first one I just said about the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. I think what they do is they mistake the centrality of the word and equate it to the exclusivity of the word. The centrality of the word does not mean only the word. It means it is at the center. Now, if it is at the center, what are the other things? If we have the centrality of the gospel, there are other things that are included. And let me tell you one of them. It is called the sign or the signs of the gospel. And scripture shows us, regarding this mission, the sign of the gospel or the signs of the gospel are absolutely, listen, I'm using the word very carefully, absolutely necessary for the propagation of the gospel. They are not the center and yet they are absolutely necessary. That same Jesus in Mark chapter 1, remember how he opened up the, the, what I just said, that Jesus began preaching. He tells us again about his primacy of preaching in Mark chapter 1 verse 36. He says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they had found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. You say, this is, we're going to verse 39. This is why I have come. And somebody will say, you see, he came only to preach. What happened thereafter? Verse 39. I didn't, sorry about that. Verse 39. He says, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching, because that is why he had come, preaching in the synagogues. Do you see the end? Do you see the end? And what? centrality of it, but it doesn't mean that it's the exclusivity of it. In Mark chapter 4, we see the same thing there. Mark 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the 
people, news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and, para and the paralyzed. And he healed them. You know what Jesus did? He preached the kingdom, but he demonstrated the kingdom as well. He preached the word about the kingdom, but he demonstrated the power of the kingdom as a testament to the veracity, the veracity and the validity of that word. And that was not just in Jesus' time. The church, that is exactly how they received the gospel. The early church in different places. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 says, For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment, this salvation, well, he said we shouldn't give, uh, we shouldn't, um, um, uh, we should take heed of these things about, uh, so that it doesn't sleep. But then he said, This salvation, this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, so you heard it with Jesus, announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to the word of salvation, testified to it by what? Signs, wonders, and various miracles by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Many of us who like to talk about salvation, uh, salvation by faith and not by works, we love the book of Galatians. And the funny thing is that we talk about the book of Galatians, we talk about the justification, and we don't see that Galatians is heavily influenced by life in the spirit. But let me give you one when Paul is then rebuking them in Galatians chapter 3. Listen to what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as what? Christ and him crucified alone. Yes. Verse 5. So I ask again, does God, who, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing that you, or the, by the, the, the believing that you have heard? Why is this central? It was there from the beginning. Now it is not, and I'll get to it, it's not about a time of the apostles or all of that. This thing does not characterize an apostolic time of the first century. No, it characterizes what is called the last days. And what are the last days? The last days are the time between when Jesus returned and the time when Jesus is coming back. We can trace this to Acts chapter 2. Right? When you go to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came, they spoke in tongues, people gathered, then Peter is now going to explain and preach the gospel. He says, what is this thing that is going on here? He says, let me interpret it for you by scripture. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will do what? Prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What are the, the last days are the beginning of the new man. Jesus resurrected and is ascended on high. So he started a new age. And now everyone that believes in Jesus becomes a new man. Why? Because how did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? How? If the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead made Jesus the firstborn of all creation. You say, but isn't that Adam? He is the firstborn of the new creation. The last days have begun and so that if any man is now in Christ, he is what? By the spirit. And the proof is this. Look at verse uh, 30, uh, 32. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The guaranteed proof that the guaranteed proof on earth that Jesus is, in, is exalted as the king of all the universe in heaven is the pouring of the Holy Spirit. Wow. 
And that's why in Acts chapter 10, as the gospel was preached to the people, while Peter was still speaking these words, he wasn't saying, I'm going to impart on you the Holy Spirit. While he was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who what? The message, the gospel. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, I'm getting ahead of myself, on even the Gentiles. On even the Gentiles. Let me quickly say something. This Holy Spirit comes with signs. Now, some of us are getting too ahead of ourselves. Don't forget that the signs are not just the ones that we see, these extraordinary ones. Because what is the reason for the signs? The signs open up the door for the gospel to come in. Whatever opens up the, for the gospel to come in is a sign. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and then do what? It's a sign. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives. He was doing good. He was doing good. So you too, live such good lives among the pagans, those who do not believe, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. They can glorify God on the day he visits us because they will be with the Lord forever. That means they are converted. Amen. So, when we talk about the signs, if you don't put it within the context of mission, and if you don't put at the center of mission the word, you will misuse the signs. I will still say a little bit more about that, but let me further go on with this theology about this thing, because it's really important. Speaking about mission, remember what we said, that it is, the result of mission is what? The con, con, version, conversion of, and, Conversion of sinners and transformation of sins. Can I put it to you? If the mission is about sinners and saints, and you need signs in all these demonstrations of the Spirit in the mission, then, are you following? The demonstration of the Spirit is both for sinners and for saints. And this is where, again, sometimes we get messed up with our theology. But let me put it this way. The signs or the demonstration of the Spirit are both for sinners and saints. The signs are used for the evangelization of sinners and also for the edification of saints. I'll put it another way. What is a sign to the world is a gift to the body. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell. They were filled with the Spirit and then they said they spoke in tongues. Now, sometimes we get so bogged down. Is it what kind of tongues? Is it tongues that are being spoken today? Is it language? Is it what have you? It was languages. Let's just, the Greek word there is languages. We can argue about what those languages are. That's not where I'm going. It was languages. Acts chapter 2. And it was to people, it became a sign to people who did not believe, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what was a sign to the world is now listed as a gift of the Spirit. Why? Because it will be a sign for unbelievers so that they can be converted, but it will also be what? A gift for the body so that it can be edified. You say tongues is too um, controversial. Okay, let's do another one. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 24 to 25. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of their sin and brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Which operation of the Spirit was here? Prophecy. Who is being affected? An unbeliever or an inquirer, right? By this prophecy. And eventually it enables him to be converted, isn't it? 
So prophecy is for the conversion of unbelievers. Okay, what about that same 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4b? What is it for? But the one who prophesies does what? It is for the conversion of sinners and the transformation of the saints. What is a sign to the world is also a gift to the body. Why? Because it is the same spirit that pours it out, that, that gives it to all. Stop trying to make a bifurcation of these things. If the mission is about the conversion of sinners and transformation of sins, the Holy Spirit that comes down manifests his gifts. The gift of the Spirit. You see, God is a giving God. Our triune God is a giving God. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Now the son who was given, died, resurrected, went back, has received from the father and he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit that is now with us gives us gifts as well. God is a giving God. And then he now calls the people that he has given to, to be a giving people. Gifts for the body and signs for the world. We need signs and wonders in our ministries. I didn't say it would be nice to have it. We need it. But I want to also put this question. Don't be intimidated by people's signs. Some of us yesterday or today, you listened to, uh, first, uh, yesterday, you listened to Jeremiah and said, I am no longer a preacher. I can't, I, 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 there's no need. I'm packing it up. You think it's easy for me to preach this morning after what you did yesterday? Let God just wipe out the memory. If God has called you, yes. thank, thank you very much. Remember what we read in Colossians 1. He said, God who has qualified you. As Spurgeon said, Jeremiah may preach the gospel better than me, but he cannot preach a better gospel than me. And it's not me preach the gospel, he preaches the gospel better than me. He does. He does. I wanted to say again, don't be, he says the Holy Spirit distributes it according to his will. This is a mistake we've made for our charismatic guys, our Pentecostal guys. We made a mistake. Let's just call it what it is. We centered, we said there are certain gifts that everybody can have. No, there is a certain gift everybody can have. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. But now the charismata, the charisma that he gives, he gives as he wills for the mission of God to edify the saints and to evangelize the world. Now, this is not just a New Testament teaching. It's also there in the Old Testament. This pattern is there in the Old Testament. Diverse gifts that people from, that are not believers, not worshippers of the true God, they see those signs and it leads them to worshipping the true God. Let me give you four categories of gifts, for instance. So that we are not, you know, this... Thing again, where we are, God give me this one, God give me this one. Let me tell you, me too, it does, I, me too, I say it. I say, God, why don't I have the gift of singing? <laughs> so I'll just come here, I'll just start preaching, I'll do like Joshua Selman, I'll bring one, whatever. People will just fall, ah, ah. I said, I left. what happened? Why did I drop out of grade four playing the piano? I didn't know. My parents were preparing me. I did not know. We envy one another's gifts. But when you envy somebody else's gifts, you are engaging in self-love. But the thing that makes the gift work well is the love of the Spirit. That is why 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 14, the gifts of the Spirit, in between, the ham in the sandwich is the love of the Spirit. The more excellent way. When the love of the Spirit, the love of the triune God, comes and activates the Spirit, the, Lord, the, the gift, it is no longer about you. It is about others because we are called to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. Put the great commandment with the, great, uh, uh, the, the, the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And my God, this world will change. But when it is self-love, then it elevates you. Above others, and the gifts start to kill you. So you see it in the Old Testament, four categories. You see, 
You can have signs, signs like this. You can have the miraculous. You can have the uh, intellectual. You can have the uh, prophetic. And you can also have the, um, the, the, the social. Notice four different foreigners, worshippers of different gods. And how the different signs help them. Naaman the Syrian. In 2 Kings chapter 5. What did Naaman need? He needed the miraculous. He was filled with leprosy. And because he got the miraculous, he stopped worshipping the God of the Syrians and he started worshipping the God of Israel. That's why he took sand and earth and took it with him there. He needed the miraculous. But the queen of Sheba needed the intellectual. She came from all the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon. The Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar needed the prophetic. After spending so much money feeding all the wise men, they could not interpret the dream and they couldn't say the dream. And they said, nobody can say this, but there is a God in heaven. The prophetic came, they would dream dreams. Daniel came, gave the gift and gave the interpretation of the gift. And Nebuchadnezzar said, there is no God but the God of Daniel. And then you have the social Ruth a Moabites. After there was famine in her land and she was totally desolate, she came under the canopy of the God of Israel. Why are these things important? Listen, for the miraculous. Because this now dovetails with Christ. For the miraculous, they must see the power in Jesus' name to heal before they receive the power in Jesus' name to save. For the intellectual, they must see the wisdom from Christ before they receive the wisdom that is Christ. The prophetic, they must see the prophetic word from Christ before they receive the prophetic word about Christ. For the social, they must see the compassion of Christ before they receive the salvation of Christ. Are you understanding? Why are the gifts diverse? How many gifts are there? Nine gifts of the Spirit. Come on. That's 1 Corinthians 12. Even in 1 Corinthians 12 itself, there are not nine. Go down to verse 28, 29, 30. What do you do with Ephesians 4, 11? What do you do with Romans chapter 12? There are at least 23 gifts listed there, but there is no gift of singing. The gifts of the Spirit are endless. They are not exhaustive. Whatever God has given you, it is meant to be for a sign and a wonder. Even that passage that we call, I am the children that the Lord has given me. They are for signs and wonders. What does that mean? It wasn't just necessary. It wasn't quoted in the context of miracles. It was quoted in the context of, this is how I'm naming my children. You know the way we name our children? Eh? My own. The grace of God is sufficient for me. The name of my child is a statement about what my wife and I went through. It was for signs and wonders. So let us broaden our mind with signs about the signs and wonders. Amen. The reason why they have to be diverse. Why is it that God doesn't give you everything? You know why? Because people's problems are also diverse. Jeremiah told us yesterday, Nicodemus had an intellectual, biblical intellectual problem. The woman at the well had a satisfaction problem. They cannot be spoken to in the same way. If I meet with my friends that have gone to Harvard, Oxford, or what have you, I'm going to be quoting things with references and giving them books by Tim Keller. If I go to Mushi, power past power. There's no intellectual anything. You bring your demon and we cast it out. The demonstration of power is an apologetic, is apologetic ministry. Joseph Babalola was doing apologetic ministry. Let's not get into all this. It has ceased, it hasn't ceased. The apostolic, you start drawing lines on something and all of that. No, as long as the gospel has to go forth, it comes with the signs and wonders. Amen. Oh God, pour out your spirit upon us again. You see, in that Acts chapter 8, it is true that it was the word that brought conversion. But I want you to see this. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Good. When the crowd heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who are paralyzed 
or lame were healed, notice, so there was great joy in that city. Father, in the name of Jesus, I stretch my hands towards your people. Let this be bringers of joy in the name of Jesus. Fill them with the Spirit so that the demonstration of the Spirit will not just be love, joy, and it will bring joy to people's hearts in the name of Jesus Christ. How lovely are the feet of them that preach good news. The news, the eternal word itself brings everlasting joy. And the demonstration that it will give them everlasting joy is that it can also give them temporal joy. Oh Lord, thank you that you are a giving God. I must move on. And let me tell you about a great danger here. Yeah, can you help me get my face towel inside there? That's what you came to do. All right. This is not, this is not online, so you can make all these mistakes. And you will cut this part out. <laughs> there is a great danger. Don't start playing now. I'm not ready. This is not Jeremiah. Again. <laughs> So we just address one error. Don't ignore the signs. There's another error. Don't center the signs. <laughs> and God help us in this country. Do you know why they are called signs? Do you know why they are called signs? Because they act like signposts. Pointing away from themselves to somewhere else. If you come to my street, my street is called, you will see a signpost at the beginning of my street, Artilarao. So if I tell you, come and visit me, I say, I stay on Artilarao Street. Let's say I stay on number five, Artilarao Street. So when you get to the signpost, you say, ah, you're not standing there. Somebody say, why are you standing there at the signpost? You say, because I'm going to Artilarao Street. I say, hey, this, he said, hey, but the signpost is telling me this is Artillery Street. Is that what we do? The signpost points you to where the street is. The signpost is not the main thing. Amen? The signs are not the main thing. They are pointing elsewhere. They are pointing to someone, the giver of the signs. Let me say this. It is very intoxicating to demonstrate signs. I'm telling you this. It is, it is, there's a reason why my Sabbath is on Monday morning. By saying Sabbath, I take Sabbath, one day of rest. Monday morning is when I repent. After Sunday. I just repent because I am, after maybe having a great Sunday of preaching, all the accolades, all the things, they come in and you sort of, yeah, it's just for God. It's just everything. It comes in. We Nigerians call it yama yama comes in. So Monday morning is to get rid of all the yama yama because it's intoxicating. I love it. Because it is very easy to be fascinated. More fascinated with the signs than those who the sign is pointing to. Now, Please, don't, it's not just for we who preach. Yes, Jeremiah said that, yes, this place is, is very, very interesting. It's true. Some of us, you get a high from the fact that you are so helpful. And people always tell you how helpful you are. There is such a gift called the gift of mercy. There is a gift called the gift of encouragement. We can all be intoxicated by this. Some of us are so humble that you're like, man... This guy is so humble, and you're like, yeah, I am, I am, I am. <laughs> I'm telling you. See, I am not now saying we don't, because the opposite of this is dishonor. And I have been in groups where because of the fear of, of, um, of worshipping people, they, uh, because of that fear, they want to avoid that. They go to this other one, and they totally dishonor and disrespect. We're all equal in Christ. We're all this was a problem. I call you this name. I call you that name. Well, you know, I, and it now becomes dishonoring. And I'll talk about that in the final one, in our final message. 
But let me tell you about Simon in Acts chapter 8. Simon was a sorcerer. And he was actually fascinated by this thing. He was used to being the sign or the, the, the center of attention. Verse 9 of Acts 8. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. If it points to Jesus, it doesn't amaze, it saves. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this is this man is rightly called the great power of God. Can I say this? We are with leaders and whatever. There is no more intoxicating power than spiritual power. Politicians will come and meet you. Business people will come and meet you. The high and the low, they will come and meet you. There is no one more revered. At least I can say this about a Nigerian context. Once you have genuine spiritual power in whatever way, you are sad to everybody. Just one day, just preach one message. I have been in, I went, hey God. I went, my aunt, my cousin died. I went to go and grieve with my aunt. Some boy like me went to go and grieve with my aunt. Some people from a popular Nigerian church came. There was, there was a pastor there. She said a number of things. The things she said wasn't very, they weren't very good. Because she was telling my aunt, who had buried, this was her second child. Don't worry, he won't want you to cry. He won't, I had to just, humbly. I opened one Thessalonians 4, just talked about how we should grieve in hope. Just did a three-minute exposition. As I was going out, the woman came to me, Pastor, well done, sir. <laughs> we open our mouths like this. Once people hear something else, we have, been, we have turned from Femi to sir. It's intoxicating. And whatever gives you a manifestation is intoxicating. We start to see. It is not just the power of God that is at work in me. I myself am the great power of God. So he was so used to being the center of attention. But what did we say? Power pass power, isn't it? So this great power of God now saw that there was a power that passed him. So in Acts 13, he then said in Acts 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. Now, don't always mistake it. Whenever, it's not everywhere the Bible says believe, that it means genuine faith. You can show a kind of belief. It says that there were, there were seeds that were thrown by the wayside, right? And that they believed, but after a while, they fell away. Because there was no root in them. It wasn't belief at the root. Are you following so Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed. The great power of God was now following somebody else. He followed Philip everywhere. Why? The man who used to amaze people was now astonished. Not by the Messiah that he proclaimed. By what? The great signs and the miracles he saw. So he took the framework with which people used to relate with him. And now he was relating with Philip. He did not start following Jesus. He was following Philip. So now get to verse 18 to show that his heart wasn't truly right. In verse 18, when Simon saw that, ah, it was the spirit that was bringing this. That Philip is not needed now. <laughs> he saw that it was the spirit that was given at the laying on of hands of the apostles' hands. He offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands Man of God, just lay your hands on me so that me too I can have. I want to tap into your anointing. Everyone that I may lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. This is deadly. There are some of us, let me tell you this. Success in ministry is the thing that will kill you. You may be rejoicing. You may be having the people there. I'm telling you this. One of the greatest gifts that God has given me has been the restraint of not having the success that I want. It is one of the greatest gifts. Because if God, if you, if you push too hard against God, you know, you know the greatest sign of God's judgment? He gave them over to themselves. See, take. You want it? Take. The success will fill you up and it will blow you up. This is deadly. 
It's deadly for the bearer of the gifts first because it makes them feel like demigods and their mission becomes not about expanding the kingdom of Jesus but expanding their own empire. So you open branches up and about here. I am not against opening branches. I am against just opening branches with unprepared people and then people start getting abused but at least your name is being put on a billboard. It is deadly for the bearer of the gifts. But it is also deadly for the followers. Why? Because no one is converted by signs. Signs point to the person that actually converts them. Signs are meant to open up for the word about the giver of the signs. That is how people enter into the kingdom. But these terrible things happen when our movement centers on signs and not the word. Listen to me very closely. Listen. If we are ever going to see the revival that we are looking for, here is this. You have to hear this. We don't want a signs and a, a signs and wonders centered movement that brings the gospel along. We need a gospel centered movement that is accompanied by signs and wonders. Because every movement that eventually centers on signs and wonders, it is not that the gospel will accompany it. Eventually, the gospel is left. There was a young man of God a couple of years ago. I was sort of in a mentoring relationship with. Gifted, wonderful heart. Gifted, wonderful heart. At the time, his church, when I met him, his church was just about 80 people. Gifted guy, wonderful heart. The very first thing I started to see was, this thing is being centered around you. This thing is being centered around you. And I tried, wants to expand. I'll say, ah, why don't you wait? Which leader is there? Have you developed that leader? I, I, this billboard, this, um, this sign thing they are putting there, this. One of the most tragic things I've seen. He has become successful beyond his wildest imagination. That is one of the most tragic things I've seen for him. Somebody who really wanted to center on the gospel before. Even he cannot control how much his followers center him. It's, it's a him-centered movement. I pray for him almost every week. May this not be your portion. We don't want... A signs and wonders centered movement accompanied by the gospel. We want a gospel centered movement accompanied by signs and wonders. For some of us, it is not just miracles. You can see how I, I broadened the view of, of this thing. For some of us, it's not just in deliverance and miracles realm, it is also in the teaching and the social realm. For some, some people, we are so focused on teaching. And transformation of the mind. I heard somebody say this. I wanted to, my jaw wanted to drop on, the, on one of the biggest platforms that Christians give to the, 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 the country in Nigeria. And this guy, the Christian minister, and said, he said, all these are healing and miracles things that we're talking about because he's more focused on the mind. He sees himself as a futurist. He said, look, let me tell you, in 30 years or 40 years, technology is going to abolish death. That is heresy. There's only one technology that can abolish death. It's called the resurrection. Yes, sir. And I don't say that lightly, but this is what happens when you focus so much and I'm about transforming the mind. I'm about doing all of those things. It is good. It is true that you have a sign there. There's a gift there. But if it is not tempered with the gospel at the center, you will deviate. You will deviate. There's some people who started in the social ministry, Christian social ministry. Fantastic. You started with that as a means to, for a witness of the gospel, but now it's just totally social. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are called exclusive, if you are a Christian that is called to do social service work, that's one thing. But if you wanted to do social service work with, uh, with, uh, as a means for getting the gospel, and you are only doing that, then you are deviating. You have become a sign-centered Personal science-centered movement. Let us not misuse the signs. You may be a strategist, the same thing. You may be, I don't know what it is. Don't become science-centered. Become gospel-centered, accompanied by what? Signs and wonders. 
The same thing with politics. They say, I can go on and on and on. Man of God. I want to ask you this. Would you be a woman of God, sorry. Would you be identified more for the signs or for the Jesus that gives those signs? Because let me tell you this. I hope you have not listened to my last point and think that I'm anti-signs and wonders. If you, if you mistake that, go back to the point before that. We need signs and wonders. But we need Jesus at the center. Amen. Because if that happens, hey, the result will be tremendous. Tremendous. I'm not, I don't want to start quoting numbers now. I'm talking about the genuineness of the result. It will be what? Tremendous. If we don't have signs, if we don't have signs with just the gospel, we will be, not be that effective. But if we have the, if we, if we, yes, if we have the signs without the gospel, we may be effective, but effective for what end? But if we have the signs and the gospel, my God, God will shake our city. God will shake our nation. You see what happened in Cornelius' home? You may think that was small in Acts chapter 10. But if you notice what Peter says, he says, surely, verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Who are the we that have? Do you know the we? In Acts chapter 2. And then the Acts chapter 8 I've been talking about. They also received in Samaria. And now in Cornelius, who was a Gentile, they also received. He said that the Holy Spirit was given to the Gentiles. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. This was a fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It seems small, but it was a big thing. But if we go back to that Acts chapter 8... Or before that, yeah, in Acts chapter 8, what was happening in that city? What we see here in Cornelius' place is a spark. What was happening in Acts chapter 8 was a spark. The Holy Spirit gives sparks here and there. In some of us, our minds and our hearts now, the Holy Spirit has been dropping sparks from yesterday up on today. Spark, spark, spark. But you're like, what can a spark, a mere spark do? What can a mere spark do? A mere spark on its own cannot do anything. But when the spark meets something else, ah. In 2019, the worst fire in the state of California, their entire history happened in 2019. Over 400,000 acres of land burnt. Do, do you know what 400,000 acres of land is? Do, do, do we know? You know what acre? One acre. This, I think this building is, there is, there is it? Yeah? 5,000 square meters. Uh, this 5,000, who knows 5,000 square meters? How many acres is that? Okay, an acre is six plots. We know that one, we know plots. Because you know that plot of land. You know your plot. But it's not, I think, it's not very far from, uh, uh, an acre is not very far from, I think, um, 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 huh? 12 acres is what? 5,000, okay, so 5,000 square kilometers is about 12 acres. So this place is about 12 acres. How many of this place makes 400,000? We'll give you 400,000 acres. Imagine that. Fire took out everything. Fire took out what? Everything. Remember I said 400,000 square, square and 400,000 acres. That's probably like half the size of Nigeria, if I'm not mistaken. Fire took out everything. What was the cause of that fire? It wasn't a burning building, apparently. No. 
Funny enough, it wasn't arsonists. It wasn't people that deliberately wanted to go and pour fuel and, and no, it wasn't that too. Do you know what they said caused the fire? They said someone took a hammer and as he was drilling, he was using the hammer to drill a metal stake into the ground. And as he was drilling the metal stake, a spark came and that spark touched fuel. And that is what caused 400,000 acres to get burnt. Let me tell you, that fuel does not compare to the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, there are sparks that are going on here. And in the name of Jesus Christ that we serve, God is going to take those sparks and he's going to cause it into a furnace that will become an inferno that will go throughout this Nigeria, throughout West Africa and bring gospel good in the name of Jesus Christ. The spark that happened in the city, in fact, by... After Philip was there, eventually Peter and John came because they could not believe that Samaritans had received the Holy Spirit. And, they, and after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem as they were returning to Jerusalem. So remember, Philip entered one city. But then Peter and John came. They were going back to Jerusalem. As they were going back to Jerusalem, they started preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. At this time, because of what happened on Pentecost, the church was called the church in Jerusalem. The whole church in the world was called the church in Jerusalem. Because of these sparks that were here, by the time you get to Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the name of the church has changed. It is then called, then the church throughout where? Judea, Galilee, and what? Samaria. We may just start here, my friends, but I tell you that God will bring a gospel center movement that will change the name of this country, that will change the name of Christian ministry in this country in the name of Jesus. Because our God is pouring out again His Spirit and He's bringing out signs and wonders, not to center them, but to center the world. Can we rise to our feet as we ask God for His power to be manifested upon us? Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.